This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. The passage for this week is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. It's the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on Sunday, August 6, 2023. It's the second message in our series called Serve the World as we explore a healthy, mutual life of mission. Let's hear the text from Acts chapter 1, the first eight verses. I'll be reading from the 2020 revision of the New American Standard Bible. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of things pertaining the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Acts chapter 1 contains a a prologue, if you will, uh, by Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, and then gives us a a sense of Jesus' parting instructions or his final word to his disciples before he ascends. If we were to continue reading Acts chapter 1 through verse 9, we would read about the very ascension of Jesus itself. But for the sake of this week's podcast and for the sake of the the focus we have on mission, let's look back at these verses, verses 1 to 8, in that light. In verses 1 to 3 of this text, we find Luke's introduction to the work that he has offered. Now, Luke is the writer not only of the book of Acts here, but he is also the author of the Gospel of Luke, both Acts. So it's really a two-volume work. The first volume is the Gospel of Luke. The second volume is the book of Acts. And so it's no wonder that when Luke begins Acts chapter 1, the second volume, he says, the first account I composed. Well, that first account he composed was the Gospel. And it's dedicated or Um, maybe the benefactor, we're not sure, is Theophilus. Now, Theophilus was a common name in the first century. There were many people who had this name, so it's hard to tell whether he's talking about um, a Theophilus in general or a very specific person named Theophilus. The reason why it could be someone in general is because the word Theophilus literally means lover of God. It talks about how Jesus 
before until the time he was taken up to heaven, he had given orders, it says in verse 2, by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So he gave some instructions to them over those 40 days that Jesus was with them. And then that culminated here in Acts chapter 1 in the dialogue that occurs at the beginning of this text. It says here in the text that it's by the Holy Spirit the apostles had been given these orders. And Luke's idea of power and the presence of the Holy Spirit are inseparable. It's rare that when a rare when Luke might talk about the power of God without the Holy Spirit and vice versa. When Jesus was with the disciples before his ascension, they knew about this Holy Spirit actually through Jesus, but then they're going to come to understand Jesus in a different way. Uh, the author Richard Pervo says this, they, the disciples, knew the Spirit through Jesus. Now they will know Jesus through the Spirit. I don't know a better way to say it. In the Gospel of Luke, they knew the Spirit through Jesus, but now in the book of Acts, they're going to know Jesus through the Spirit. The text tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus presented himself for 40 days to the disciples before his ascension. And then we know from reading this text that they waited another 10 days before the Holy Spirit fell upon them on the day of Pentecost. 50 days altogether, the great 50 days from Easter to Pentecost. And it says in the text that Jesus appeared to them on and off over this period of time. And what did Jesus speak about? What did Jesus do for these 40 days? It tells us at the end of verse 3, speaking of things relating the king, regarding the kingdom of God. Jesus continued teaching the disciples during those 40 days after his resurrection about the very nature of the kingdom of God and what their role in that kingdom would be. It opens up a key passageway for us, and it's this. The Spirit at work in Jesus is at work in us. You see, God's eternal presence in the Spirit is important for us to center on today. And to be honest, while technology and time uh, move forward, and in the case of technology, it evolves, it was the same Spirit that was present in Jesus in his ministry is the same Spirit that is here today. So we're linked to the events of even this story in Acts chapter 1. We're linked to the entire life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings the continuity to us, and we're part of this great arc of God's redemption. Each of us have that same Spirit that was at work here in Acts chapter 1 in us today. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we read much more clearly about Jesus' final instructions that he gave the disciples. Now, it's hard to tell in reading Acts chapter 1 where these instances occur. Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem, but what's hard to tell is whether this first dialogue that Jesus has in verses 4 and 5 is the same as the dialogue that he had in verses 6 to 8. In other words, did they all happen at the same time? There's some clues in the text that tell us they didn't happen all at the same time, but that there was probably some instruction given to them at first 
about waiting and how the Holy Spirit would come. And then later on, when Jesus actually ascends, it says they had come together again. And so it's likely two different gatherings here. So in verses 4 and 5, we hear Jesus' instructions. He says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. So he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem because they're to stay there to wait for the Holy Spirit. And as we know later in Acts, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which would occur 10 days from then, happened in the middle of the, the, the Pentecost celebration that was going on within Judaism. They were to stay there and to wait for what the Father had promised. So notice the language here that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father upon the disciples. Jesus tells them about the Holy Spirit being sent, but the Spirit comes from the Father. It tells us then Jesus quotes um, something that we've heard earlier in his gos- in the Gospel of Luke and in the other Gospels, that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so it's in this sense that water and the Spirit correspond with each other, that water in baptism is a sign that goes together with the sign of the Holy Spirit's baptism with fire, and that it would happen not many days from now. As a matter of fact, it turns out it would be 10 days. And so they're told to wait, and that's a key passageway for us here, that waiting for God's leading is an active posture. To be honest, waiting is hard for us. It's tremendously hard for me. I'm impatient by nature. Goods and commodities come to us with ease. We seldom have to wait to get anything that we might want to have. It's literally one click of a mouse or a trackpad away. Assuming a posture of waiting seems to be a little bit, well, unnatural for us, and it's because we're not used to it. Waiting is actually an act of trust and faith. It's not like waiting in the doctor's office when you had an an appointment at a certain time and half an hour later you actually see the doctor. This is a different kind of waiting. This is the kind of waiting that lacks a certainty of the exact timing. Jesus, all Jesus says that, that not many days from now, that, that's somewhat ambiguous. So when God calls us to this posture of waiting, we have to learn to be faithful in that posture. And to be honest, without the Holy Spirit in us, at work in us, our work and our life, at times waiting, is impossible. What Jesus asks shortly of the disciples in verse 7 and 8, for example, cannot be done on human terms. So what's the rush? Why barge in on work that we can't possibly do without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. And this is an exchange between the disciples and Jesus regarding the timing of the kingdom. It says at the beginning of verse 6 that when they had come together, so perhaps they were reconvened from their, private com- their prior conversation, there's a question that the disciples raise with Jesus. Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So what's in this question? Why are they asking it? 
Well, there's a, a lot happening here in the asking of this question, but let's just focus perhaps more narrowly on what the, the conversation between Jesus and the disciples is going to be about. It's going to ultimately be about mission and being a witness. So what's behind this question of restoring the kingdom to Israel? Well, one is there the argument of the disciples for the centrality of Israel. You know, part of the, the theology of Jewish scripture is that Israel would be a, a, a light to the nations and that all nations would be drawn to it. It was like a magnet, if you will. And so this idea of Israel is an attractional mission. And I mean attractional in that it draws people and groups and nations in. It does function in every way like a, like a magnet. But there's more to this question than even that. There's this vision that they have for the kingdom of God, that that kingdom has to come through Israel, that it has to even come through the political state of Israel. And so their vision for the kingdom that Jesus offers hasn't quite enlarged yet. They still see the promise of the kingdom of God as something happening in and through Israel, forgetting the fact that that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God by being one of Israel. And so they're, they're just not quite tracking at this point. And so they want to know about timing. They want to know if Jesus is finally going to get around to to establishing this messianic kingdom. And Jesus' response to them is interesting. He doesn't look at them and say, no. He says to them, it's not your business to know the timing of things. Jesus said the same things in his own ministry before his death and resurrection. It's not for them to know the timing of things. And then the second thing he says to them is that they'll receive power. And they're going to receive power to do a certain thing. Listen to what Jesus says. It's in verse number seven. It is not for you to know the periods of time or appointed times by which the Father is set by his own authority. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So the power they're going to receive isn't the power to restore the nation of Israel. The power they're going to receive is to actually be witnesses. And so this is the one of the only places where, where Jesus um, explains explicitly what the power of the Holy Spirit will do once the Holy Spirit comes upon them. It says that they will be witnesses. And that word is very important. They're not going to be teachers. They're not going to be priests. They're not going to occupy these traditional roles of power within religious communities. They're going to be witnesses. In other words, they're simply going to share what they've seen and what they've heard. That doesn't necessarily require any kind of theological or biblical expertise. They simply need to share what they themselves have seen and heard. And then Jesus, then in his closing words here, describes the scope or the places in which they will be witnesses. No, it's not going to be in just Israel. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where they are right now. That's the city in which they find themselves. And then Jesus say, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, which is the region that they're still in. Jerusalem is part of Judea, but Judea is larger. So imagine kind of the best way to talk about this in the 21st century is imagine Jerusalem as a city, imagine Judea as a state. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, not only will you be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, you'll also be witnesses in Samaria. That's the region or the state next door to them. And that is a state filled with Samaritans. And so this is a problem for the disciples because the Samaritans and the Jews have very little interaction with each other. But it's also an opportunity for them for reconciliation, for engagement. And we'll see this play out in the book of Acts when Samaria comes into play. And then Jesus says, finally, fourth, you will be my witnesses also in the remotest part of the earth. Now, that wasn't just some ambiguous statement in that day. That was a very clear statement of a very clear geographic place. The remotest part of the earth for these individuals in the ancient world, part of the Roman Empire, was on the one end was Rome. That's the edge or the remotest part of the world. So everything to the, the west and north of that is the hinterlands. And then the other boundary was Ethiopia. Anything past there was the remotest part of the earth. If you have showed you a Roman map of the day, you would see a map describing those places as the ends of the earth or the remotest parts of the earth. And the reason why is because as this book unfolds, you're going to read a story, not too many chapters in the book of Acts, about an Ethiopian eunuch who is baptized and saved. And you're going to read about Paul's journey to Rome as well. And so it's interesting that Jesus says that there'll be witnesses to the remotest part of the earth. And by the time you're done reading the chapters of the book of Acts, you will find that the gospel has made it all the way to Rome and ultimately a desire to take it beyond Rome and all the way to Ethiopia. This opens up a key passageway for us, and it's an important one, that the church is a missionary or a missional organization. We are not a maintenance organization. See, our, our vitality is not measured by what we gather alone. That's, that's back to the mindset of the disciples, is that this time you're going to restore the kingdom in Israel. In other words, are we going to gather a bunch of people? Are we going to get a bunch of people here? The church is a missionary or a missional organization. That means its vitality is not just measured by who is gathered, but it's also measured equally in who and what the church sends. And this uh, ties into one of my favorite theologians around mission, uh, the, the great English uh, Archbishop Leslie Newbegin, who is a, a missiologist, in other words, a person who taught about the theology of missions. He talked about it as drawing and sending, that the church draws people and it sends people, almost like an act of respiration. It's the way the church breathes. It draws in air and it sends out air. It draws people in and it sends. And so when the church finds its its rhythm and that drawing and sending, it truly understands itself best as a missionary or missional organization. Most of our energy has to be turned to making disciples, that's the drawing, and sending apostles, that's the sending. Making disciples, sending apostles. Simply put, most of what we measure and need to measure is how we are making disciples and how many persons we're sending into ministry. In reality, to be honest, we are all sent. And Jesus makes the scope of the sending clear. It's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the remotest part of the earth. It truly is ascending to here, some people local, there, some people nearby, 
and everywhere, some people far away. All of us have a location in which we might be a part of God's mission. If you have comments, reflections, I invite you to reach out to me by visiting my website, revcraig.com. Click on News in the upper right-hand corner, and then you'll see Podcast drop down from the menu. And then click on Podcast, and then click this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd also invite you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.